Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Because this is starting to get too much information, mate. I'm telling no, you. That was that just now. me trying to get out of a chair. Oh, that's all right then. I was getting a bit distraught. So, the big news story in the past few days is that Jane Birkin has died. And she was English, but she went to France in the swinging 60s and she found success in France. And she married Serge Gainsbourg and their daughter, Charlotte Gainsbourg who's in two of the raciest films ever made. I watched them with David, his hair turned white. You, you watch a lot of racy films, didn't you? There's always... Not really, no. Mickey Rourke was a favourite oh. of mine. I love Mickey Rourke. Very sexy. But then he had plastic <laughs> surgery, didn't he? And he turned into me. No, no. None of it was good. Before wasn't good and after's really bad. Really anyway, bad. I almost wrote a piece about the Birkin bag, which is named after Jane Birkin because she got on a plane and she had this sort of raffia thing because bags weren't a thing in the 60s or 70s or, or even 80s, actually. And she sat next to a CEO of Hermes and she said to him, I want a bag with lots of pockets and I want it, everything to be safe. And so he came up with a Birkin bag. And in all the sort of puff pieces about her death, they've all been saying, oh, the legacy of Jane Birkin, the Birkin bag, and there's a waiting list and, and they're worth millions and they get auctioned at Sotheby's and they're so precious. My take on the Birkin bag, which actually Jane Birkin didn't want to be associated with it. For the last 10 years of her life, she did not, want to be associated with the Birkin bag because people for the ethical treatment of animals didn't expose it about Hermes and they showed crocodiles in a crocodile farm. They don't go and catch wild crocodiles. They don't go fishing in a river. They farm them. And it was an expose of them being skinned alive. And so you wouldn't really want your legacy to be a Birkin bag made out of crocodile. And even Jane Birkin didn't want it. The reason exotic skin is so bad for anyone who doesn't know is when you're a reptile, you take a really long time to die. It's because you're cold-blooded, you take a long time to die. Reptiles take a long time to die. And it's actually one of the worst things you can possibly use in fashion so rest in peace jane birkin but please anyone who thinks they're a journalist out there please mention the crocodiles because she would have mentioned them because she had a soul and she had a heart and she realized that it was a bad thing and if you're you're on a waiting list for a birkin bag you're an idiot 
You're an idiot. You've got more money than sense. Buy something else. Buy a tree. Rescue something. Donate money to charity. Do not spend your money on a stupid handbag. We've actually lost all sense of perspective, haven't we? Where, you know, we're so spoiled and we've got so much. Where I'm other not people, spoiled. well, where other people haven't even got clean water. We're willing to spend thousands and thousands on a pair of shoes or a bag. It's actually, it's, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sorry, it's completely immoral. And particularly when it's when it's killing something to do so. It's, on every level, it's immoral. Well, there's something else that made me cross this week. Do it. Go on. Tell us. A huge adoration for a novelist called Claire Kilroy. And she's published a book called Soldier Sailor. And it possibly will be up for a booker. Great reviews. And... Basically, here are the key points from that book. You feel trapped as a mother because you are. Top of her hit list is her husband, an alien with his clean shirts, office escape route and weary tolerance. My husband, the enemy within, he who has taken me down, she says. Now, the husband in her book was described in the Times as a bone-idle lump. Ring any bells, anyone? that he leaps into the pantheon of great literary bastards. One point of contention in their relationship is the hours he spends on his bike, for which you could substitute yoga, the pub, (laughs) football, pornography. But her husband actually liked the book, and he said after he read it, I'm a mediocre cyclist, but you're a world-class writer. And I'm sorry, I never got that. I never got that. I never got that. Well, that takes quite a lot, doesn't it, to read something about yourself, you know, even if it's disguised, that's not flattering, and take on board what someone's trying to say. But I'll tell you what I can't stand about this book is because she says, I felt trapped, I had to do it all the time. What motherhood? Listen, book a possible woman, Irish person, you're lucky you've got a husband. You're lucky you spent 10 years writing a book. I have to write mine in about three months. You're lucky you had a child. Anyway, the piece in the Times says it's a love story and a horror story about human neediness. And because it's honest, it's also very funny. Be an astronaut, be a nurse, be a postman, be whatever. Just don't be a dick, soldier tells him. That's not that funny, is it? I'm funny. That's not funny. It's not that funny. Yeah. Anyway, she doesn't stop moaning about being a mother. If you don't want to be a mother, don't get married, don't have sex. I mean, it's not that hard, is it? And she says, car seat buckles became instruments of torture. Oh, forget! at least you own a car. Cling film repulses her. Weaning becomes a battleground. No, this, this is, is a life surprise. is shit, depression. Anyway, she writes, all I do is housework and childcare. Well, don't have a child if you don't want to do housework and childcare. She says, I never get a moment to myself, not even in the toilet. I miss my old life like I miss a lover. I pine for it. I daydream about leaving you so that I can be with it again. At some point, her child's going to be old enough to read this. I can't imagine they're going to feel that wanted. I've got to be honest. That could be really damaging. But why become a mother if you don't want the seatbelts and the child seat and the cling film? And also, 
Cling film. I use cling film. My womb has never been used like my Le Creuset saucepan. Get over it, you stupid woman. I just It's just not a surprise. Anyway, no, then the reviewer surprise. in the Times put my back up. Oh, no. He put my back What's up. What's he say? What's he, he say? He did. It's a man, isn't it? He said, at times, the irreverence of her prose has the deceptive feel of a newspaper confessional, but then Kilroy will swerve into a more poetic mode. I think that's a diss at me, isn't it? Oh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to comment on that. What does he mean? Ooh. The deceptive feel of a newspaper confessional. What does he mean? Wait for it. You know what's coming, don't you? You know he's running, he's jumping, he's throwing himself out of plane. Oh my god! My ovaries have literally exploded. This new Mission Impossible, which you went to see last night with your mum. I did. It was made during lockdown. It made me laugh. He was doing all these dangerous stunts, jumping out of aeroplanes without a parachute and jumping on trains and everything, but he was wearing a mask. Well, I honestly, oh my God, when there was no sign of that in the film, they, they sorted that out in the but film. But between, between takes, he was wearing a mask. I thought, you wimp. <laughs> well, I went last night with me mum. And there was more people in the cinema. In Rich- the lure of Tom Cruise brought everybody in Richmond to the cinema. Was it all women? No, no, there were boys as well. It was quite young, actually. Now, I didn't even know we had that age group in Richmond, to be honest. It was like, apart, apart from me and mum down in the front row, it was quite old. <laughs> but, like, what's there not to love? What's there not... It's got a great story. I know it's had, I know it's been criticised, but I don't it's care. It's terrible reviews. Don't care. Don't care. Not listening. Too bad, so sad. Not listening. Who's the heroine? Who's the love interest? There's not a love interest. I mean, there's women in it, but there's not a love interest. There's, and I don't have to get jealous. It's all action. It's basically Tom Cruise being cheesy and funny and jumping off things. It's literally everything you could want from a Michelin Impossible I loved every second of it. And Tom Cruise is still out of the cryo chamber looking bloody magnificent. I swear he looks magnificent. And I thought, I thought he looked a bit blurred, actually. What do you mean blurred? Well, all his features are blurred. That's you, what happens when you get older. It's like you're blurred. Blurred? He's always magnificent. I would. I would. In fact, I saw, actually on by accident, a little clip of it on Graham Norton and... One of the other actors was talking about Tom Cruise being a really nice bloke and they're doing this film together. But when he sees his fans, he turns into Tom Cruise. So they were saying, well, what does that mean? And he turns that flashing smile on and does the hi, hi. I can't do an American accent. Hi. Oh, I can do. God, I, I can do Alexander Skarsgård's accent. Just go away from the ejaculation. And they showed him jumping from a bit one building to another on Graham Norton, and they did it on slow motion. And as he jumped, as he hit the, the building... I think he hurt his fingernail, didn't he? No, 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 he broke his ankle. So his foot landed on the side of the building, and you see in slow motion his leg come up parallel with his foot. And then Tom Cruise, in, in full Mission Impossible, like, oh, my magnificence climbs up onto the building and continues to run on one leg past the camera. I mean, 
that's that's like did oh, he really break his leg? He actually broke his ankle, so he had to he had to finish the take. Are you sure he that do he doesn't have a stunt man? No, okay. he's, he's he's famous for doing all his own stunts. He flies his own helicopters, his planes. He jumps off things. He does all the motors. Oh, he's such an action man! Oh my god, I want him. But literally, go see it because don't matter if you don't like the film. Doesn't matter. It's cheesy. It's funny. It's great. But Tom Cruise is just a sex machine, and I want him. I'm <laughs> don't look at me like that. I mean it. And Brad Pitt at Wimbledon as well. I want to be in a Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt sandwich. Yeah, it's, it's just as well you weren't at Wimbledon because I could just see you climbing up oh, the stairs God. to get to him. I've literally done. I mean, you know, anyone that's listened to this for more than one episode knows I love my toy boys. I've literally done a 180. Do you know what I mean? Like, Tom's 61. Oh, my God. Martin's not even 30. You're never going to get action like that out of him. Brad's 59. Oh, my God, he's been in a cryo chamber. Channing Tatum's 43. I'm having to raise the bar. It was always before. Like, once the bloke got to 30, we're done. You know what I mean? It's always been with Martin. You get to 30, See, I think Kate, the Princess of Wales, made a little bit of a mistake at Wimbledon because she had Daniel Craig, Rachel Weisz, his wife, who I interviewed when she was at school. Rachel, Rachel, if you're listening, I interviewed you when you were at school. I know how old you are. <laughs> but Brad Pitt Me. wasn't in the royal box. What was Kate thinking? What was Kate thinking? I reckon that was William. I reckon he was keeping the competition. Because let's face it, Brad, Willie, Brad, Willie. It's not happening, is it? So what have you been up to this week then? We haven't had a Miranda Priestley moment. Oh, oh, I forgot the Miranda Priestley moment. Yes, Liz. Okay, everyone. I'm booking a weekend away. Very pleased with myself. I found a lovely dog-friendly little hotel in Scarborough. Nice bit on the north coast called the Bike and Boot. Absolutely brilliant. Really dog-friendly. It's got like a little cinema you can take dogs in. The dogs go in all areas. It's got a little grooming room. And I thought, oh, this is lovely. This is perfect for, for me and the dogs. Sends it over to his sister Liz. Oh, look, I've got a nice weekend away. So she said, well, it's going to be horrible, isn't it? It's going to be horrible. So I sent her the website and said, look, it's lovely. I got back. It looks okay, but then I'm more discerning than you. I am. It's nice. I only stay at the pig, Claridge's, and I booked a night at time. What's time? Not T-I-M-E, T-H-Y-M-E. It's a village within a village. It's all organic. Right. The sheets are organic. Everything's organic. The food's organic. The sheets are organic. The products are organic. Bike and Boat have got their own products. <laughs> They're probably not organic. I don't understand people who go on holiday somewhere that isn't nicer than where they live. I think, I think, I think this is nicer than where I live. <laughs> I think it is nicer. I don't know what you're talking about. It's, it is nicer when I live. No, seriously, people. Google it. Bike and boot Scarborough. It's nice. Anyway, this week's column. Go on. It's partly about Minnie Puppy. So she got 
the surgery and she had her spleen removed and they took the tumour and they found out it wasn't cancer and they've removed the thyroid cancer, which was cancer, and it was very minute, minuscule, microscopic, like yep. the other person in this column, who we won't mention his penis, microscopic. So Minnie's on the mend. Minnie's doing really well, isn't she? She's doing really well. And a lot of this column is about my piece in the Daily Mail last week, which you can read when you buy you magazine. But the thing I want to talk about is one of my moans, and it was about Catelyn Moran's new book called What About Men? And in my moan, I said she lucked out when she got married. So many of us didn't. And I think it harks back to something she wrote years and years ago when she said... A woman's life is only as good as the man she marries. And I do think one person can completely derail you. Without You go in with the best intentions. Everything's going to be lovely. I'm going to be supported. I'm going to have a lovely life. I'm going to have yeah. children. And if you marry the wrong person, you could be completely derailed. And I think she's been slightly skewed in her view of men because she married a lovely, lovely man who's very successful in his own right. He's written an amazing book about music and being an immigrant, and he's he's an amazing writer as well. So they're sort of equals, really. But there's been a bit of a backlash about her book, not just for me, yeah. but on Twitter, and, and lots of men saying, this is patronising, why is a woman writing about men? There are, She says there's no books about men. There are books about men. There's, there's Satnam's books, book yeah. about growing up as a Sikh with a top yeah. knot. There's lots of books about there men. There's, there's Holden Coalfield. There's so many male writers. I must admit that so was she my wrote thought. a piece in the Times this week, sort of defending. She said, "She said I wrote a piece about men. Now's the backlash, and I think it's been quite unusual for her for people to actually stand up and say, no, 'No, you're wrong.' Yeah, yeah. So she wrote quite an ill-judged piece in the Times this week, sticking up for herself. And I, I think if you write something, let that speak. You don't then have to write another piece saying, mm-hmm. 'Oh well.'" I'm sticking up for myself. That's the one rule of journalism. You write what you want to write and then you don't... You put it out there. say, well, actually, the reason I wrote this, the reason I wrote this, I'm sticking up for myself. And she says, anyway, last week, what about men went straight in at number one? So another question. Is a question controversial if so many people want to ask it too? But it's... What I kind of hate is people who are endlessly self-promoting themselves and who have such a big ego and can't admit they're wrong. And I know I go on and on about my awards because I'm joking. I'm actually joking. I'm the least successful person you're ever, ever, ever going to meet. You know, I've got £12. You know, it's just I don't even have an agent. I'm literally a pariah. And I just cannot stand this endless arse licking by one woman over another woman on Twitter. Oh, it's great. And you know all the blurbs on their books are written by their friends. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like this huge club that I don't belong to. And I don't really think most of the listeners and most of my readers and most of the readers of the Daily Mail, we don't belong to that club. We don't. We toil away and we do the best that we can. We don't 
belong to this chattering class and I just I just can't stand them you know and I just think I'm sick of people taking up so much space let a man write the book let a young man write the book let other people come through yeah you know this is why I object to MPs having columns and writing books just do your job do your job for your constituents and I'm sick of people taking up so much space yeah, and it seems to me that was themselves. sort of quite. I, I thought, as, as she's such a feminist, I found it quite strange she wrote a book about men because a, she's they can not look a after themselves. Well, and, and they've got their own experiences and their own opinions that they can write from their own point of view, yeah. can't they? With authenticity. This can't be written with any authenticity because she's not had that experience to write from. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, had, I had a massive problem with it. And. Again, you know, going back to the point, and if you read my column on Sunday, you're only really as lucky as the man you marry. Yeah. And I are. was very unlucky, and she's very lucky, and she's very lucky to have had daughters, and she's very lucky to have teenagers. And that's why I was so against that book at the beginning of this, is you're lucky to live in Ireland to spend 10 years writing an novel, and you've got children, you've got a husband who reads the book, and he isn't angry and doesn't divorce you and he doesn't write a piece in the paper saying that you're a disappointment you're really old yeah i'm sick of other people being our luck and all i would say to young women is you've got to make your own luck you've got to be independent and don't get married well the thing is is it is exactly as you say if you marry the right person i've got a friend she's been married to her husband for 30 years they are Bliss, even after 30 years, they are. Yeah, like my mum was lucky. Happy. My mum was so lucky yeah. with my dad. No, yeah, they're blissfully happy. They, they're a team, and I think that's the important thing. What I see when I look at them and I'm in their company, I see they never snipe at each other. They're never nasty to it. There's no underhand. They're constantly, are you okay? What do you need? They're looking out for each other's backs the whole time. And and what I see in them is not just the fact that they love each other, but they operate respectfully and as a team. And if you haven't got that, how do you face all the problems that you like? They've got a really difficult life. They've got, you know, they've got illness, they've got different things that are difficult, but because they support each other, they get through it together. Whereas if you're with someone and you've got all these problems on top and you're not operating as a team, you feel quite lonely and isolated. No, all I have was jealousy and resentment yeah. and, and someone in competition with me. Yeah. Well, you ain't in competition with me. No. You ain't in competition with me because I'm no better com- than you. There is no competition. There's no competition. No competition. I'm better than you. What, no the floor with you? You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Now, today, there's lots of by-elections. There is. There is. And now Boris is up, isn't he? Boris's Uxbridge seat is up for grabs. I think he should have fought it, actually. Do you? I think he should, should have stayed and fought it, yeah. Hmm. He's too busy having more children. How many have they got now? <laughs> He's too busy with a lot of things, isn't he? But I have a bit of history with Boris, because in May 2016... Da-da-da! I was sent to follow the Brexit bus on its campaign. Literally. 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 I was in my Land Rover following 
The Brexit buff. I got, I got, I got a phone call. I'm following. I'm just imagine this little Land Rover following her. They thought there was this mad farmer following <laughs> them. So, and it was quite. It was quite exciting because he was a celebrity, and there was this bus, and it had. 350 million on the side, we're going to give back to the NHS. Well, we know that's a lie, don't we? We do. Um, and we I do. was in two minds, really, whether we should leave Europe or whether we should stay in Europe. So I went with quite an open mind. So this is my piece from May 2016. It's award winning, really. It's a literally award winning. Contributed to the awards. Booker. It's a booker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Friday afternoon and I'm outside Debenhams on the corner of a dreary street in Portsmouth. The port was flattened during the Second World War. Many of the people shopping were alive back then, but few seemed bothered that Europe might soon be fractured again. The Boris bus is about to arrive, I shout at them. The what, dear? (laughs) I soon have a little ancient crowd around me, all keen to see them off. Top arrive. It's not Beatlemania, but a few old ladies straighten spines. I get a call. The bus is no longer stopping in Portsmouth. Abandoning my new friends, out the way, out the way, who clearly think I'm a fantasist, I race to my handmade in Blighty Land Rover and I set off in hot pursuit of the German built Boris Brexit campaign box. Was this Brexit? The- Brexit campaign bus, next stop, Salisbury. Was this to the music of Heartbeat? <laughs> With your Land Rover coming out? No, it was do, 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 do. Because all the mail said to me was follow Boris. I'm like, okay, fine, okay. <laughs> Just a little heartbeat going along. <laughs> anyway, I drive to Salisbury and I arrive at Market Square. I feel like Penelope Pitstop winning wacky races. I park on the ancient cobbles beneath a sign that says no parking. I don't like being told what to do, so maybe I'm on Boris's side. The market is awash with cosmopolitan street food. I spy a handful of people in red T-shirts. At first, I think they want me to switch to Santander. <laughs> then I realise they're Brexit campaigners. Where's the bus? I ask, because I'm always afraid that I'm going to miss you the story. You are always. I'm like Bridget, aren't I, when she goes to buy sweets and she misses Mark Darcy's trial. <laughs> then I'm told, the bus was refused permission to park near the square. It's around the back. Can you imagine him not parking on the square? I parked on the square. He didn't park on the square. I think they're more likely to mess with him than mess with you. They're not no. going to mess with you. No, they're not. And there, in the middle of an empty sea of concrete, is the bright red bus, guarded by two pensioners, Marilyn and Dave. <laughs> Marilyn and Dave. They still send me Christmas cards. Oh, bless Marilyn. I'd expected hordes of people waving the Union Jack, but no, it's just Marilyn and Dave. Why is there no excitement, I say to them. Oh, Boris isn't on board. It turns out... The Brexit bus without Boris is like ER without George Clooney. Are you Boris fans, I asked Marilyn and Dave. Oh, no. We've been UKIP for years. (laughs) 
Neither mentions words like immigration oh, or foreign, but they lurk in the air like the fumes from the South African curry stall. I fear another Brixton riot, violence, intolerance. Oh, Why are they in favour of leaving Europe? UKIP forced the referendum. We want control of our country and our borders. Oh. Hollow laughter. Another activist limps over and, bizarrely, uses changes to mobile roaming charges to make his point. It only benefits the people with money who can travel, he says. Those on the minimum wage will get higher tariffs. Staying in the EU is for the rich, not the poor. Aren't they worried about what the Bank of England is saying? Cameron is relying on the establishment. It's propaganda. I've been told I couldn't join the bus because of an exclusive with another paper. But inside it looks as dull as the coaches that deposit the infirm in Bournemouth. There is no sign of Pretty Patel. You know, I met her at a party. She's like the size of a toddler. Is she? She's absolutely minute. She's she's microscopic, like my ex-husband's dick. (laughs) You've been waiting for that one, haven't you? (laughs) She was rumoured to be lounging on the back seat of the bus, an immigrant turned little Englander. I do fancy the idea of a lift to the next stop, just in case my Land Rover has been towed. I hoist myself onto the first step. Now, now, says the driver, behave. (laughs) I'm reminded of Nigel Farage's election campaign in Ramsgate. Outwardly jovial, inwardly boot camp. I didn't know the driver was from East End. That was just me. Behave yourself, darling. Behave. That most English of painters, Turner, said the sunset in the bay at Ramsgate was the most beautiful in the world. If Nigel Farage had got in, the town would have become known as the ugliest. Maybe I should stick with Cameron, boring but reliable, even if Brussels insist he pees while sitting down. It's now Saturday morning and I'm in Bristol, waiting for Boris, as elusive as a snow leopard. Boris's publicist tells me the albino one's visit will be splash and dash, which I take to mean sweaty and brief. (laughs) Ew! Ew! You're on fire! You are on fire! The hall is packed in Bristol, and when Boris arrives, a cheer goes up. Yay! After a rousing speech in which he likens Britannia to a battered wife, I have him all to myself. Yuck. Like like many women, I'm undecided. It's like having to choose between Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Not quite. Stay in Europe or leave Europe, though with not quite such good bodies. I've put on two stone, Boris bellows, twinkling. What I don't want to do is get into bed with Nigel Farage. Trust me, Boris says, you won't. A frisson. What will sway the female vote? He tells me, I think the fact we will be spending more on the NHS will do it. Hollow laughter. Women care about that stuff. I tell him I haven't recovered from the last recession and I couldn't cope with another one. Will he charm Christine Lagarde of the IMF? I'll try, he says. He's very seductive, this saying, It's an honour, Liz Jones, when he spots me in the crowd. I still don't know. I keep weighing up all the options, reading about figures, unsure who to trust. One final question, close to my heart. Will he ban live export? 
I will ban live export. That was my impression. Sounds quite good, actually. It was better when your German was Swedish one. You promise? I promise. I have that sentence on tape. I will hold him to it. It's enough for me. I'm going to vote leave. I even now sport a badge. And But he didn't ban live export. He didn't ban live export. And today, in the newspapers, is this piece that says, DEFRA, I hate DEFRA. I hate DEFRA. Shelves, animal welfare labels for chicken and pork. So, Boris, you lied to me. And I really hope the Tories lose Uxbridge because you lied to me, you abandoned them. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Right, let's move on. Would you like to see what the listeners are saying? So we've got a man. Matthew. We've got a man, Matthew. Matthew, 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 you're my new favourite. Oh, well, he says, Hi, Liz, I hope you're well as can be. I read your piece on Mini Puppy and I was in tears. Your writing has me hooked every week. I've read all your novels and weekly diaries and I'm it's a not a diary, Matthew. It's not a diary. Hang it's on a, a column. minute. He was your new favourite two minutes ago. He was your new favourite. I trained in journalism after your novel, Girl is You forgot to say that he's a 30-year-old male. That was because you kept having a go at him, poor man. Right. He trained in journalism after your novel, Girl Least Slightly To, inspired by you. He says he hopes you're okay and he wanted to reach out. So you actually inspired him into a new career. Oh, I love Matthew. Yeah, well, he's allowed to say diary. You've got to let him off of that. So we've got Sally who says, Dear Liz and Nick, your antics really do make me laugh every week. I'd love to know what do you think is the most silly or stupid thing you have ever done? Lots of love to you both, Sally. The stupidest thing I did was to leave London. I had an amazing life, a beautiful house, friends, the flower shop, the deli, the dry cleaner, the organic pub, Ottolenke. Girls Bakery. I should, no, I don't think Girls Bakery existed then. Didn't it? Oh. Just, I could walk to the cinema. I should never have left London. That's the stupidest thing. And I regret it every single day. What about you, Nat? Well, the stupidest thing I've ever done is when a light wasn't working in my front room, I thought it might have a loose connection, so I stuck my finger in the, in the top of it where the bulb goes and electrocuted myself and got you... sent across the room and woke, and, and woke up laying on the floor. Are you dead? No, I'm not dead. I resurrected, but that was pretty stupid. But when I told Martin, he laughed for about two hours solid. <laughs> No, like, are you okay? He just laughed. Now, lastly... David. <laughs> now, which David is this? 
David three. Is this number three, David? I think this is. I think this is a new David. David, yeah. I think you need a new name because you can't be another David. It's too confusing. Well, he can. He can just be zero point three. We just add. You just grow the the the, the numbers. So David says zero point three. Just been reading on the website that Liz Jones is one of Britain's most popular journalists and best-selling author. So far, so good. These comments may well meet with her approval. It then says she's worth five million dollars. <laughs> Yay! Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.